All right, good morning, everyone. So my name is Tim Hoff. I'm one of the pastoral team members here at the chapel. So uh, we're grateful to have you here with us. If you have any desire for contact with us, we don't scan license plates in the parking lot. So if you want to be contacted, just go to the connection desk and let us know if you have a question, if you need prayer, want help with something, just please feel free to reach out to us. Okay, we're here uh, to assist you in any way that we can, but we won't chase you. Okay, uh, Blake and Becky, can you two stand up real quick? We're, we're, we're celebrating a new holiday, and it's called Your Last Single Sunday. Okay? Okay. All right. So we're uh, looking forward to a beautiful time next Sunday celebrating their marriage. So, uh, okay. So I, I'm going to promise you this is not our normal service today. Okay? So... Uh, it might be a little rowdier than you're used to, okay, with the kids. So uh, lock in and enjoy, all right, as they celebrate together. And then we're going to share in a song and then enter into our time in the Word this morning. So let's, uh, let's join our hearts in prayer. Our Father, as we uh, come before you this morning, we're grateful. Grateful for the work that has been done in the lives of children this week. Thank you for... Uh, the good attendance, and just how everything went so smoothly for the large number of volunteers who sacrificed of their resources, their time, and their talent to make a difference in people's lives. So we, we trust that you will be glorified through everything we do this morning. Maybe a bit different, but we do it to honor and glorify you. And so join us, Lord, as we meet in your presence and uh, allow us to experience your love and your grace and your saving power. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, yeah. amen. Okay, Sherry, I think. Good morning, church. We're going we're gonna to work with this guy on how not to be so rigid. And yes, every Sunday goes a certain way, but it's okay to be flexible, especially with children. And it's okay if we do things a little bit differently just every once in a while. So we're working on that, though. Um, I just want to thank every single volunteer that helped make this week possible. If you were one of our volunteers, please stand up. If you have your shirt, great. If not, still stand up. All these people, plus some who are not here. This week would not have been possible without each and every one of them. Um, I just thank you from the bottom of my heart because without all of you, it would not have been possible. So um, what, no matter what the role was, um, we had between 35 and 40 volunteers every single night. And some people are like, well, why do you need that many volunteers? Believe me, we do with little kids. And we had an abundance of little kids this year. I think Christina um, calculated almost half of our attendance was second grade and below. So we had a lot of little ones. So yes, we needed lots of extra hands. And look at these beautiful faces. I'm missing one of my favorite beautiful faces. Okay, he's, he's thinking about it. Um, I also want to thank people in the congregation who donated supplies, um, snack supplies, uh, donated 
um, a side dish for our dinner each night. I can't even tell you how happy the volunteers were to have dinner every night. Some of them who were new with us were like, oh my goodness, we get fed. It's our way of thanking them. And it's also our way of, you know, a lot of them are coming straight from work. It's one less thing they have to worry about. So thank you for those who brought a side dish. Um, rich man in the grill for us three out of the five nights. Um, every single one of those people helped make this week possible. I was going to give you a few numbers and then I'm going to turn it over to the these beautiful kids. So um, our highest attendance was 68 on Wednesday, which is amazing. Um, and we finished the week with 67, which for a Friday, if anybody's done VBS, sometimes Friday it really drops off because, you know, people go away for a weekend or, you know, whatever the reason. We had 67, so our second highest number on a Friday, which was beautiful. But the most amazing thing is those numbers don't reflect the total number of kids that came through during the week because some come for two nights, some come for three nights. Um, we had 84 children throughout the week, which is just absolutely amazing. I'm really thrilled. Um, we had children who accepted Jesus into their heart throughout the week, but on Friday, we had over 20 children accept Jesus just on Friday. So this is just amazing. Um, another awesome stat, because Christina's my stat girl, she's just like all over data and stuff like that. Out of the 84 kids, 41, so almost half were new that this year was their first time attending our VBS. So really just exciting. Um, I would love for this to just spread through our surrounding areas at our place. Um, our VBS is a really fun one. And um, the kids have learned so much. And they're going to tell you, really listen to the words of the songs, because there's so much Bible in these songs, which is one of the reasons that I love it so much. And wait until you see how much fun they have. Are you guys ready? Yeah. All right.
Welcome to the chapel.
God that never fails will not fail me now. He won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. He's working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will for all my days. Yes, I will and I choose to praise to glorify, glorify the name of all names that nothing can stand against. And I choose to praise to glorify, glorify the name of all names that nothing can stand against. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will for all my days. Yes, I will Right before Pastor James comes to preach, we have a special need this week that we wanted to pray about specifically for our dear brother, Dan Slack. So I'm going to ask our elders, if they would, to kind of work their way over to Dan. We want to have a word of prayer for Dan. Dan is going to be having bypass surgery this week, and we want to pray for him and for Pam, for Amy and John, the family uh, at this time, for our dear brother. 
Father, we thank you so much for the Slack family. Lord, we thank you for Dan, our dear brother. He's been such an incredible testimony to us through the years. Lord, we've seen you work again and again uh, in one challenge after another. You are always faithful. Dan believes that. Pam believes that. Amy, John, we all believe that, Lord. Father, I pray that you will give such a calmness to, to Dan and to Pam and to John and to Amy this week as you undergo surgery on Tuesday. Father, I pray you'll give incredible skill to the doctors in such a way that they are amazed at how well they do. Father, we would pray that through all this, you would take glory for your namesake. Your name would be exalted. Christ's gospel would go forth and your saints would be encouraged. We love the Slack family, Lord. We love you. Do your good work for your glory and the good of your people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Children uh, from kindergarten up to third grade can be dismissed at this time. If you want to go to the back for junior church, right out the doors, there'll be some leaders back there to guide you. God in his sovereignty had a plan for the passage that we will be preaching from this morning um, from First uh, Peter chapter 4. As we just got an opportunity to pray for our brother who's going through a trial, I see my sister back there um, as well, Diana Kelly who's struggling as well, uh, Linda Matthews who's probably not with us but is with us here um, praying for her as well. Uh, there's so many, um, Fran's brother, um, there are so many that are going through trials and difficulties, um, some that are spoken and that we're aware of, and some that we are not, um, but God is aware of all those struggles, all those trials, all those difficulties that people are going through. Uh, so the passage today is in 1 Peter chapter 4, and it is on the topic of suffering. I entitled the message Embracing Trials, which is going to sound kind of weird. Uh, hopefully by the end of this uh, message, it won't be. And understanding God's purpose in suffering. That God has a purpose and a, a reason for allowing the sufferings that we go through and the difficulties. You ever find yourself in the midst of those sufferings and the difficulties in life qu asking two questions, why and then how? You know, the first question could be, why? Why is this happening? I just don't understand. This doesn't make sense. Could be, why me? You know, uh, for some of us, we have struggled with multiple difficulties over and over and over again. Uh, my family has had um, health issues that have gone one after another after another, and, and we could ask the question, why? Why me? I guess the second question that we usually ask in the midst of trials and difficulties is, how? How am I going to cope with this? How am I going to cope with another struggle, another difficulty in life? And I think what Peter is doing here in this passage is giving us really incredible counsel of how we can reason through that, how we can respond out of the trials and the difficulties. 
Now, believe it or not, we are in our fourth chapter of First Peter. We have had a ton of sermons on First Peter, and if you've been noticing, there are three consistent themes. They all start with the letter S, because you know I have to alliterate. Um, the first theme is the theme of salvation. He began right in the beginning of the book, and he talked about this blessed hope, this great hope that you have that has been earned for you by Christ, the resurrected Christ, the power of your salvation. He wanted you to remind yourself that you're elected, that you are justified, you are being sanctified, you are God's cherished commodity, God's cherished possession. Your salvation is, should be a bedrock for all the struggles and all the difficulties that you go through. But there's a second S that you probably have seen through Peter, and it's the word submission. He talked about submission to government authorities. He talked about submission in marriage. He talked about submission at work. He, he said that there were leaders above us, and we are called to submit. And sometimes the submission to those authorities was difficult. Sometimes those authorities were painful and challenging to submit to. But God was calling you to submit. He was calling you to remind yourself of your salvation, and then he was calling you to submit to them because you're ultimately submitting to his sovereign authority. He's in control. We're going to see that here in this passage. But the third S is the one that we deal with today. Not only salvation, not only submission, but suffering. It's been a key theme in this whole book. Right from the beginning, actually, why don't we go back to chapter 1, verse 6. He says, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he says, In this, in the sufferings, in the trials, in the difficulties, in this you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you hear it? It's suffering and the submission to God's will and ultimately suffering that you're going through, the, the salvation that you're going through as well. Well, Peter built on that in the first chapter and now he comes to the crescendo here at the end of chapter four. So flip with me to chapter 4, and we'll read this passage, I'll pray, and then I'm going to give you some points that I think will help you as you go through the trials. This is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 19. Now this is the word of the Lord. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it, it is time for the judgment to begin in the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? 
And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Well, this is God's sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life-giving, and life-changing word. Would you pray with me? Father, as we go through trials and difficulties, we can find ourselves oftentimes discouraged. Maybe for some of us in this room right now, or some of us listening, we're going through levels of despondency and despair and, and hopelessness. We, we feel that we just don't deserve this and it just doesn't make sense. We, we hear of a God who's loving and gracious and kind, but why are you allowing the pains and the troubles and the trials that we're going through? There's so much suffering here, Lord. But Peter, and greater than that, your Holy Spirit is counseling us through this passage. So I pray that you would teach us what you have for us. Help us see the beauty of the gospel. Help us see the wonder of your son. Help us see the, the truth that can give us sure foundation in the midst of the trials. And help us to bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let us begin, and I want you to consider uh, five key points that I'll pull out of here. Uh, first is that there's a painful reality, a painful reality. We see that in verse 12, painful reality. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials that come upon you. I want to start, before we get into the painful um, reality, I want you to think about this word, beloved. He wants you to think, I want you to consider the fact that when you're going through difficult trials in your life, you can question at times, or maybe you've been questioning at times whether God loves you. The world would say that because if God really loved you, he would take this away from you. If God really loved you, he would care for you. He would remove this trial. He would keep that person from dying if God really loved you. And it's one of the challenges that so many people have in this world today. They believe that if the suffering is occurring, it is a clear indication that God doesn't love them. And with Peter, he's beginning his new section. He had a section back in two, uh, chapter 2, verse 11 that started with beloved. But he, he's beginning this new section. But I don't think it's just beginning a new section. I, I think what he's doing is reminding you that you're loved if you're in Christ. That you are beloved. You are special. There is a special relationship that God has with those who trust in him. There's a special relationship that God has with all of his creation. So any of you that are sitting here that don't have a personal relationship with God, he has a love for all humanity. He has a love for all of his creation, but he has a special, a fatherly type love for those that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so when you're going through the trials, please know that a person who is loved, deeply loved and deeply cherished and, and at times preferred above others I love this definition uh, given about God's love. It says, it's his self-giving affection for his, for his image-bearer creatures, his unselfish concern for their well-being that leads him to act on their behalf and for their happiness and welfare. That what God has laid out for all of humanity is for our happiness and for our welfare. It is not to hinder us, it is actually to free us. And that's what he's given us in his word. God's compassion, God's care, God's love, God's pity, God's mercy is apparent, available, and there for you. 
And there's a degree of love that God has a love of benevolence, that he wills good for his creatures. He has a, a love where he is caring and compassionate for you. He wants to show love to you. He, a love that comes out according to his will. And he is this love that he wants to shine through your life. So when you're going through suffering and in trial, remind yourself of the fact that you are loved. But it's true here, as Peter says, that there is a painful reality that we're going through trials. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials as though something strange were happening to you. Apparently, these people, these Gentile believers, were surprised. And they had gone through, I guess, some relative times of peace. It was in Rome, or part of the Roman Empire, and this was during this time of Pax Romana. There was this Roman peace that was there. And as they were living their lives, there was no national wars that were going on. There was just a level of peace, economic security and peace. Kind of like the United States and the West has experienced for a little time, and now it's changing. But the wars and the difficulties and the challenges that people go to church and they sit in a church and they feel pretty comfortable. They don't have to worry about the world that is out there because there is a general level of peace. I can go and work and I can do what I want and I can have some level of freedom. That's almost exactly what was happening during this time. There's these Jew Gentile believers are living in a world and they're saying, hey, you know what? I'm a Christian, but that's okay. It doesn't seem to make big difference. And they seemed to be surprised by their trials. Now, their Jewish counterparts recognized what was going on. They recognized persecution, but it had not come, perhaps, to the Gentile believers. So Peter, as he's writing this, he's talking about a suffering that apparently is coming upon them, and it's coming in the future. He's kind of warning them, and then he's giving them counsel. You know, here in the United States, and especially in the West, you know, we found ourselves at one time valued as, as Christians in this world, you know, our nation especially, you know, Christianity was valued. Not everybody believed in Christianity, but there was something that people looked up to when it came to Christianity. Our views were respected. Even our leaders, our prominent leaders, it was just last century where we had a prominent evangelist who visited every White House. And, you know, it's like you had to go and see this prominent evangelist would have to see the president. And if the president failed to let this prominent evangelist in, people would question it. But it's no longer that way. That our values are being disrespected now. Our views are being rejected. Our leaders, our biblical leaders, are not being invited to a White House any longer or to the leadership any longer. And he's saying this, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that come upon you. Now, I, I don't know if God in his sovereignty is giving Peter this phrase to think about what's coming along, but what will happen in Rome is Nero will burn Christians as one of his forms of punishment. So I don't know when he's talking here if he's talking about the fiery trials that are coming under Nero or if he's just saying trials are painful. Fire in the Bible talks about two things. It talks about punishment and it talks about purity. That there is a punishment that God has laid out and he's a God of wrath and a God of anger and he is a, an eternal fire. He will pour out his fire to those who reject him. 
But that fire, a second part of his illustration in scripture is the fire could also prove and purify. That I think is what he was getting to in 1 Peter chapter 1. He talked about the fact that if you are a beloved of his, a child of his, he will take you through painful and difficult trials so that he can prove his faith that he has placed in your life and show you to be pure, removing sin out of your life so that you look more and more like God. So whether this is a fiery trial of punishment or a fiery trial of purity and pure, um, proving, I think that's what he's getting at here with the believer. He's saying that you're going through a fiery trial, but God is proving your faith and he's purifying you through this. No matter what the alienation is, no matter what the intimidation is, no matter what the persecution is, God is doing something in you so that he can do something through you. And he says, when it comes upon you to test you, that is exactly what it is. He is testing you. Now, whether it's Joseph in the Old Testament, if you remember the story of Joseph, he he was rejected by his brothers. He was thrown into prison. Time after time, he found himself under great suffering. And time after time, he came out as gold. Or a whole book of Job, where Job suffered over and over, lost economic, lost his family, lost his health, over and over. But what was proved out was his faith was proved and he came out as gold. Well, what Peter is arguing is this, beloved, don't be surprised. That's the wrong response. Don't be confused when the trials come. Just know that God is testing you. This is not strange. You are living in a broken world and you have to recognize that there is brokenness that is around you. So in the trials, we're tempted to question where God is. He's right there with you. We're tempted to question that God loves you. He is reminding you you are loved. In in the trials, we are tempted to stop believing that God is with us or that he is good. It's a lie. He is here with you, and he's undergirding you through this, and he's going to take you through this trial. He's powerful. He's loving. He's purifying. He's proving That's God's stated purpose. See, the whole reason that Peter's giving this is he wants to give you rationales for why God allows you to go through these. See, if you can understand the why, and then you can understand the how, then you can endure the trials that you're going through. So he starts with the painful reality. The painful reality is, guess what? Suffering is a norm for believers. Suffering is a norm for every one of us, whether you're a believer or not, but it is a norm for believers, and it is to be expected. Now he goes to the second piece, powerful rationales in verse 13 through 14. And he gives you a number of powerful rationales that are here. And he says in verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So rationale number one is this, you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Now, not in the redemptive way. When Christ died on the cross, he said, it is what? Finished. We're not adding to his redemptive work. But in a righteous way, we're showing the fact that there is unrighteousness in this world, and we are suffering because of either our unrighteousness or the unrighteousness that is there, and there is a righteous way to deal with suffering. That's what he's saying, that we're sharing in Christ's sufferings. Jesus willingly endured the cross for you, willingly. Jesus was despised and rejected by men. 
He was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. He was abandoned by his friends. He was hated and tortured by his foes. And even his father's wrath was upon him to set you free. He paid the penalty for your sins if you trust in him. He willingly substituted himself for you. And he offered you by his life, by his death, by his burial, and by his resurrection, he is offering you forgiveness and freedom from sin. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has rescued you from sin, from Satan, from death, from hell. He has rescued you. And that act in his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, he is the triumphant God. And as you go through your sufferings, I want you to know that you're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. That's rational number one. But he gives a second rationale that goes here. He says, that you may rejoice and be glad when, what? His glory is revealed. See, not only are you finding yourself sharing in Christ's sufferings, but we also share in Christ's glory. See, there was a crown, there was a cross, but then there's a crown. There was pain, but there was gain. There was death, and then there was life. Just like every one of us, there was labor for our moms, and then there was birth. Out of the pain comes something beautiful. That's exactly what happens here. That there's glory on the back end of this. I don't know how long your trial is going to go. Your trial may take you to your death. I don't want to minimize the fact that this life, all one, every one of us, I will take my last breath, and every single one of us in this room will take their last breath at one time. Maybe the suffering that you're enduring will go all the way to your death, but it will go to true life, hope, healing, eternity, freedom. What do we do? We spend 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years on this earth. It is nothing in comparison to all of eternity. And so what he's saying is this, I want you to see the first rationale is that you're sharing in Christ's suffering, but you're sharing in Christ's glory. That should produce a joy. We are being conformed to the image of his son, and we are conformed in the fact that we are his example, and we are at communion with him, and we're sharing in his suffering, but we're also sharing with that future glory, that we're looking ahead to the fact that there's a time where there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, no more death. That should produce a joy in you. See, our sufferings are not the end. That future glory, that joy should shape our present glory and our present joy right now as you look ahead and say, this is a short trial, but there is an eternity that awaits me because of Christ. See, Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. Sin has left this crimson stain, but you've washed it white as so. Jesus' suffering led to his glory, his cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his session in, in, in heaven, and he is returning in glory. And all our suffering will lead to his glory and to our glory as well because of him. That's the gospel promise. The struggles you go through are temporary. Well, Peter drills down. He says rationale number one is that we share in his sufferings. Rationale number two is that we share in his glory. Rationale number three comes in in verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are what? Blessed. 
See, this is exactly what the world doesn't want you to believe, and that's what exactly what a number of pulpits this morning are going to lie to them, to their congregants. They're going to tell you that you are not blessed if you're not prosperous, if you're not healthy, and if you're not wealthy. That's a lie right from hell, and it's not from Scripture. God says you are blessed you are happy, you are fulfilled, you are special in my sight. I have laid a special burden upon you. If you are my child, you are privileged. You're blessed. And what would happen if I could see this as a temporary struggle and that God is blessing me and I look ahead. He says in Matthew chapter five, in the Beatitudes, he says this. Matthew chapter five, he says, Blessed, blessed are those, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for they also persecuted the prophets who were before you. What is Jesus telling his disciples there and he's telling us is the fact that there has been struggle time after time right from the Garden of Eden. There's been breakdowns, there has been hurt, there's been insult. This seems like it's a verbal type of insult and verbal abuse that is occurring right now. It has not become physical. They have not started to lose their lives. Peter is preparing them for what may occur. He says, if you're insult, and he makes it very clear, this is for the name of Christ. Now, as we said, there's suffering all around this um, room right now. There's suffering because of our own personal sin at times. Some of us are suffering because of that. Some of us are suffering because we live in a broken world and all the cancers and all the difficulties, the Crohn's, the heart issues, all of those things is because we live in a broken world. Some of us are suffering because of other people's sins and what they've done to us. Some of us are suffering under the hands of a Satan and his demonic forces. Some of us are suffering because of God's discipline in our lives, but the suffering he's talking about here specifically is about persecution. You are being persecuted. Now, if you have other types of suffering in your life, I want you to know this. The principles that he talks about here are still the same principles that will help you. That there's a painful reality. There's, there is these powerful rationales that we share in the sufferings of Christ, we share in his glory, and we are blessed. Now, if you are suffering today because of your own personal sin, what I will tell you is this. The gospel of God's amazing grace is, is there for you. That God in Christ, what God did was he planned our salvations. The Lord Jesus Christ provided for our salvation. The Holy Spirit is the promise of our salvation. And what he does for you is that the Father's care for his humanity, the Father's, I'm sorry, the Son's covering of your sin and the Spirit's work to counsel and comfort you is available to every single one of you who take, take your, turn your life to Christ and trust in him. You can be blessed through the trials, through the difficulties, through the struggles. So if you're insulted right now, maybe you're afraid of being insulted. Maybe you're insulted by your family member. Maybe you've been insulted by a spouse. Maybe you've been insulted by a, a coworker because of your faith. And you worry that it's going to get worse. It may, but I can tell you that the rationale is that you are blessed in this. Why are you blessed? Hold on. It's the fourth rationale. Because you have the spirit of the living God. 
resting upon you. He says here, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, verse 14, you are blessed because, here's the causal factor, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I can make a whole sermon out of this just one section. The spirit of glory, some theologians believe it's the Shekinah glory from the Old Testament. It was the glory of God who hovered over the temple, over the holy of holies that was there. The very presence of God among his people at the tabernacle, that presence of God that was there with them at the temple. That presence of God is there with you. The special presence of the Spirit, his holy of holies, his strength, his comfort, his assurance, his perpetual presence with his people is residing there. But it's not just the Spirit of glory. See glory again? He keeps going back to glory, glory, glory. But then he says the Spirit of God rests upon you. I want you to think about the fact that that same glory rested upon the Messiah. It was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, where it says, And the Spirit of the Lord rests upon him, the Messiah, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That same Spirit came upon him in the image of a dove, if you remember at his, at his baptism. And Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up out of the water, and behold, heavens were open, and they saw the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove. That same power powerful spirit, the presence and the powerful spirit now rest over you if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a powerful resource. What a precious promise is available to you. So I want you to remind yourself that suffering is an opportunity to find our joy in Christ and our fellowship in the triune God. So we have looked and we've seen that there is a painful reality and there's powerful rationales that we are, share the suffering of Christ, we share in the Christ's glory, we are blessed and we have the spirit of the living God that lives upon us. But then he goes into a personal reflection. Every one of us need to go through a personal reflection. That as you're going through the trials and the difficulties of your life, I need you to personally reflect. And he says in verse 15 and 16, he says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. And so he starts by saying, do not be the cause of your own trials. Do not be the cause of your own difficulties. Now I told you that this is primarily speaking to those that are being persecuted, but there's other types of suffering that we go through. And as I listed, some of our suffering could be a byproduct of our own sin. I struggle with some of the suffering that I'm going through because of my own sinful choices in my life, my own foolishness. Others may suffer because of the sins of others and their foolishness. Some of us suffer right now because of the broken world that we live in, the, the fallen world that we live in. Sometimes we're suffering because of an enemy. Sometimes we're suffering because we're just Jesus' disciples. The world hates Christ, and therefore he will hate you. So as you go through this personal reflection, he says, I, I want you to make sure that you're not a murderer or a thief. Those are two of the Ten Commandments. He says, an evildoer, that's one who does wrong activities, you know, these offenses. But then the meddler is interesting. It's kind of hard to define, but it seems to be the one who looks for trouble, the busybody, as I think the King James Version uses, or those that are watching out over other people's affairs, always getting into somebody else's life and not worried about their own. 
And what I want you to know is that the gospel of God's amazing grace is available for you if you are here. But these are the things that you need to avoid. Avoid doing the sinful things that may lead to your suffering. So when you're reflecting, do not be the cause of your trial. Suffering gives us an opportunity to examine our own lives. But then he says in verse 16, he gives you a promised resolution. Verse 16 through 18 takes us to our next to last point. Yet, if any of you suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Back to the name. I think, Pastor Doug probably could do better for me on this, I think the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament, I think. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the case. Now, we use the word Christian today, and it is a badge of honor, but back then, the word Christian was an insult. You little Christ. You're nothing. We wear crosses sometimes with, uh, around our necks, and we are encouraged by that, but that cross back then would have been a, a vehicle of execution. Nobody would have worn a cross around their neck. So the very thing that the world would insult us over is the very thing he's saying, I want you to be glorying in. Yet if any of you suffer as a Christian, and he's doubling down, he's making sure you know that this suffering he's talking about is persecution. Go back to verse 13. Verse 13 says, but rejoice insofar as you share in the sufferings of Christ. In verse 14, um, 14 yes, if you are insulted for the name of Christ... And now he is tripling down on the fact that this is about Christian suffering against from the world. He says, if you're suffering as a Christian. Now, whether it's a word of insult, I do not want you to let that to be the ground of your life. That is not who you are. You are suffering for the name of Christ. You're suffering to be like Christ. In Acts chapter 5, uh, Peter gives an interesting illustration that he's in prison he has now been beaten, and he comes out of prison after he's gotten beaten. What does he do? He praises God and says, I thank you that I was counted worthy to suffer for you. That's exactly what he's saying. I don't want you to be ashamed of your suffering. I want you to glorify God in your suffering. Do not be ashamed. Do not let other people define you. Do not let other people discourage you. Do not let other people diminish the glory of God in your life. Do not let other people cause you to shrink back or to compromise or to cave in. You've got the glory of the risen Son of God, and you have eternity that awaits you. So there's so many of us that believe that we live our lives at a deficit, that we're lacking. You are a child of God. You're an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You have eternity that awaits you. They're lacking. You're not. You may be lacking positionally today here on earth, but you're not lacking positionally when it comes to heaven. He says, don't you be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. But then he gives you the second element. Glorify God. In that name. What does it mean to glorify God? It means to reflect him. It means to display him. It, may, it means to be putting him on display in your life. Do that in the way you think. Do that in the way you speak. Do that in the way you act. Represent Christ through your suffering. 
through the trials, whether it's a heart issue or a cancer issue, whether it's financial or relational issues, represent Christ. Let him be the groundwork. Speak to those doctors, speak to those nurses from the boldness of knowing I don't know what's happening with my body, but I know what happens with my soul because I don't have to be ashamed because I can glorify God. I can reflect him. You can reflect him maybe by smiling. You can reflect him by being quiet at times. You can reflect him by speaking. You can glorify him. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he said, Father, what? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. His disciples soon after that, Stephen, when he was being stoned, he says, Father, forgive them. He was reflecting Christ. They actually said he had a face of an angel because there was something that had happened inside of him and that was coming out through him. And I believe that that planted seeds in Saul, who was there holding the bags and holding the garments of those that were stoning Stephen, years later, that Saul would become the Apostle Paul who would write 13 books in the New Testament. Because the seeds of what God would do in a person's life who was suffering and through their life who was suffering would bring the seeds of gospel grace in this world. So don't let, don't be ashamed. And then what he tells you is this, this promised resolution. He says, for a time of judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if a righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What he wants you to do is this. He wants you to know that there's a promised resolution, that this will come to an end. The struggles that you go through will end one day if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's holy temple, he, in his holiness, back in Ezekiel, he came into the holy temple in judgment upon his people, and then he went into judgment out into the world. In Malachi, it says that he is refining his people. He starts with the church of God. He starts with you and me. He starts with us, and he wants to prove your faith and purify you. He will put you through trials so that you will shine like gold in this world. But then he moves from that working of purifying work and fire to punishing. And I don't want this to be discouraging. I do want to, I really encourage those that sit here this morning who have never trusted in God. We have a birthday and we have an expiration date. Every single one of us are going to take our last breath one day and we will stand before God and have to give an account for our lives. For every thought, every word, every attitude, every action, every single one of us will. And there are some who are going to get the benefit because they've trusted in Christ that they will be judged not guilty. Righteous in my sight. You are blessed and you are beloved. But there are those that sit in church after church and have heard it year after year that they need to bend their knee to Christ and they never have. And I'm just warning you, as Peter is warning these people, that there's a judgment that comes not only to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ where you will be judged by your deeds, but there's a judgment that will fall upon those that are ungodly. The offended one, God, has offered us salvation in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't have to offer us anything, but he chose to allow his son to die so that you could live. 
And what he requires of every single one of us is faith in the Son. And even there, he gives you the opportunity, he gives you a gift of faith. Exercise that faith and turn to Christ today. I urge you to repent. He says in verse 18, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly? It's a quote from Proverbs 11:31. He's not saying that our salvation is weak or flimsy. He's saying that if salvation has come to the righteous, scarcely from a viewpoint, what will become of those who have never trusted in him? For those that insult you today, Christian, I want you to see them in light of the gospel. I want you to see them in light of eternal judgment. I want you to see them in, in prospect of all eternity. I want you to respond to them, not as they respond in antagonism to you. Don't respond that way. It sickens me to see Christians attacking people from the world on Facebook and social media. It makes no sense to me. They don't have Christ. They don't have the world. They don't have the word. They're not going to respond the right way until they are brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a light. Be a light. Don't look like them. Don't speak like them. Don't attack them the way they do it. Don't, don't act in antagonism. Don't act in a quarrelsome spirit. Respond like Jesus responded. And how did he respond? He wept for people. He prayed for people. He spoke truth to people. He lived God's life among people. That's what you're called to do. So Peter began this section by talking about the painful reality, and then he gave you some powerful rationales, and he took you to the fact that I need you to have this personal reflection in your life and this promised resolution that it's going to come to an end someday for you if you're trusting in Christ. But he ends this section with a proper response, a proper response. He says this in verse 19, Therefore... Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. He gets a lot of theology here. Another great couple, I mean, probably do multiple sermons on this. He talks about you're suffering according to the will of God. So he's talking about the sovereignty of God. He's in control, the providence of God. He has a plan. Then he talks about the faithfulness of God. He talks about the creator God. I wondered why creator. I think I could be wrong that he is reminding you of Genesis 1 and 2, that God is the creator, he's the faithful one. He started all of this. And Genesis 1 and 2, things were at peace, horizontally, in this world between humanity and humanity, between humanity and nature, between humanity and God. You're, he's the creator God. And everything changed in Genesis 3 when we rebelled against him. And as creator, everyone under him is called to be submissive and submit themselves to God. So I think that's why he's calling. He says all the pain, all the suffering, all the trials that we have are a byproduct of Genesis 3. But what do we need to do? Go back to Genesis 1 and 2. Trust him. It says entrust their souls. It's a financial term. It's like when you go to the bank, you take your money and you put it into the bank. You're entrusting that bank to take care of your resources. He is saying, entrust yourself, turn it over to the great banker, the Lord Jesus Christ, and let him take care of it because he's trustworthy. He is faithful and you can trust him. You remember the song, trust and what? 
obey. He ends right here, well, do good. So he gives you the theology. I want you to think biblically. God is sovereign. God is providential. God is purposeful. God has a divine plan. It doesn't end here. You can trust his absolute sovereignty. You can trust his infinite wisdom. You can trust his perfect love. You can trust him. So how do you endure the trials and the difficulties? First, you've got to remind yourself that suffering is norm for believers, and it's to be expected. Don't let it surprise you. How do you deal with suffering in this world? Well, suffering is an opportunity to find your joy in God, in Christ, and, and recognize the triune God is at work. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit is at work in you. Suffering is a norm for believers and is to be expected. Suffering is an opportunity to find our joy in Christ and fellowship with him. Suffering gives you an opportunity to examine your lives. Make sure you're not suffering for evil, and if you are, confess it and turn back to God. And when you're suffering for things that are not of your own, examine your life anyway. Suffering gives us an opportunity to gain an eternal perspective that is not about now, it's about eternity. And suffering gives us an opportunity to deepen our trust in God and to obey him. What great counsel from Peter. Peter is, um, as historians say, is going to be crucified upside down for his faith. Peter, who was ashamed of his savior on the night he was betrayed, he was ashamed to even say that he was part of his family. He says, I'm not going to be ashamed any longer. Peter, who ran away, he says, I am trusting in God, and I'm going to give you that same counsel. Learn from my mistakes, Peter says. It's a painful reality. There are rationales, powerful rationales available, but you need to take a personal reflection of your life that there is a promised resolution, and then ultimately, guess what? Amazing. God is at work in you, and he's got something amazing. The proper response for you is to trust and obey him. So, Lord, we praise you. Father, I recognize that there's some here who have never trusted in Christ. I pray today that if anything we've said, maybe some of the songs that were sung or some of the things that have been said today would have pierced their heart. I pray that they would come speak to one of us because we want to share the good news of the gospel with them. They, we want them to be set free and forgiven. We want them to know that it is not about now. It's about eternity and what you're going to do and what you've done through Christ and what you want to do in their lives. So Lord, I pray that we would not be ashamed to say that I just don't know and I need some help. I pray that they would come. For the many of us that do know Christ, and we struggle with questioning whether we're beloved. Help us to know that we're infinitely loved because of your son. Because you have applied that love for your son upon us. Praise you for that. Remind us of those rationales, Lord. Remind us of the proper responses. And remind us that the suffering we go through is temporary. Keep us with that eternal perspective. Work in us, Lord, and through us by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and sing our closing song? Oh.
A thousand stories of what they think you're like But I've heard the tender whisper of loving The dead of night and you tell me That you're pleasing that I'm never alone you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Oh, and I've seen many searching for answers far and wide but i know we're all searching for answers only you provide because you know just what we need before we say a word you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am, it's who I am. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Love so hardly speak peace so unexplainable I I can hardly think as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still into love Love, love, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, and 
It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, just this week, uh, VBS with the kids. Lord, uh, thank you for the work that you've done in the lives of the children. Lord, thank you for the message that we received uh, this morning from Pastor James. Lord, I pray that uh, these words would seep deep into our heart and our bones. Lord, uh, let us leave this place uh, energized and encouraged, Lord. And I pray that uh, that your loving kindness would just truly seep, uh, just infect us, Lord, and infect other people. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen.